0: Amen, amen. Let me take your seats as I get set up here. Man, who's excited to be in church today? Yeah. We got some living, breathing people out there. I love it. It's definitely better than preaching in the morgue. It happens. We're in the middle of the series, as Mike said earlier, simply called God. We're studying the names of God and we've chosen as a teaching team to take this final sermon series of the year, this final message series of the year, and, and like Heather says, give, give all the focus and all the honor and all the glory to whom it truly belongs. To the King of Kings, to the Lord of Lords, to the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, that as his creation that you and I would lift up our creator, Not only in this message series, not only that it's words that we're saying, but it's how we live out our lives. That we would worship him Monday through Saturday, not just for an hour in here on Sunday. See, you and I, we were created by him and for him. Our entire existence, our entire purpose in living is to reflect his love back to himself. And the name of God that, that I've chosen to, to preach about this morning, it's actually only mentioned one time in the entire Bible. However, the meaning of this name is threaded throughout the scriptures. I think it's very powerful. This name comes uh, from the, uh, the book of Ezekiel, the last chapter of Ezekiel, chapter 48, and the last verse in Ezekiel, verse 35. Now, the last portion of Ezekiel, uh, the book, is prophetic. That is, it's a prophecy about the final restoration of you and I, believers, to Jesus Christ. And similar to Revelation, there's a lot of parallels between Ezekiel and Revelation. and, And just as in the last chapter of Revelation, in the last chapter of Ezekiel, it's talking about the new city of God. And the last verse in Ezekiel 48 says this. is verse 35. And it says, The distance around the entire city will be six miles. And from that day, the name of the city will be Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. It's only mentioned one time in Scripture. The first time we see this Hebrew word sham or shammah in Scripture, however, is in Genesis 2 verse 8. And that says, and the Lord God planted a garden in eastward of Eden, and there, Shama, he put a man whom he had formed. So think about this with me. The creator God placed us there. He placed us here on this earth for his glory and to reflect his love. And then we read this special name of God in Ezekiel 48, Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. And God is saying, I placed you there, but I am there right alongside of you. I am in it with you. I am Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. What if we were to live out our lives as if we truly believed that? What if we knew that the place that we lived in, that the Lord was there? What if we knew for certain that the city in which we resided in Peoria, Illinois, 2015, that the Lord was there? Would we have so much confidence and conviction because of that? And knowing that not not only that he was there, but he was ahead of us. He's clearing a path for us. He's making a way for us. He's fighting for us. What if that was our reality? What if that was the way we actually lived out our lives? Would we hold our head a little higher? Would our every step be a little more sure? Would we live with more confidence, not because of us, but because of his presence. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord, is there. Would you pray with me before we get started this morning? In Isaiah 64, it says, Oh God, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. Mountains would quake before you like fire igniting brushwood. God, that is our prayer this morning. God, that you would tear open the heavens and let your presence come down. God, ignite the fire of your presence in our hearts. Burn something within us that cannot be explained with our human understanding, that we would recognize that we are standing under an open heaven, and that Jehovah Shammah is behind us and ahead of us and above us and beneath us. Every step we take Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. And all God's people said, Amen. So I want to tell you about Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there from a perspective of an individual in the Bible. And this guy, I love his life, I love his story, It's, it's an epic story, and I'm just going to tell a portion of his story, it's a very famous story, you probably know it, even if you've never been in church, you've heard this story. This guy's name was David. And I love this story so much because David knew that the Lord was there. He recognized Jehovah Shammah with him in his everyday moments. That's how he lived out his life. And because David's heart, his heart was tuned in to God, to Jehovah Shammah, his everyday moments turned into God's mighty presence and his power on display. And I believe with all my heart that those same moments, that same God, can occur in your life and my life. If you want to follow along with me this morning, I'm going to be in 1 Samuel 16 and 17. 1 Samuel is right before 2 Samuel in the Old Testament, if you're looking for it. I'll give you a second. To give you an idea of where we're at, King Saul was currently the king of Israel, but he had disobeyed God, and God had turned his back on Saul and decided that he was going to anoint a new king of Israel. And so God told his prophet Samuel to go to this sleepy little insignificant town of Bethlehem to the house of Jesse. And once there, God would tell Samuel which of Jesse's sons to anoint as the new king of Israel. And Samuel arrives in Bethlehem. He arrives at Jesse's house. And immediately he sees Eliab, Jesse's oldest son. And he thinks to himself, surely this is the one that the Lord is going to anoint. And God tells Samuel, No, Samuel, I don't look at the outward appearance. I look at the heart. Eliab is not the one. And one by one, Samuel goes down all of the sons, seven sons in all, and each time God says, No, this is not the one. And he gets to the last son, and God says, No, this is not the one. And he turns to Jesse. I'm sure both of them are confused in this moment. And he says, Jesse, do you have any more sons? And Jesse says, Well... There's the youngest, but he's out in the field watching the sheep and the goats. Obviously, this last son was not important enough to have at the original gathering. I mean, someone had to watch the sheep. And of course, this last son was David. And scholars estimate that David was around 10 to 13 years old at this point. He's out in the back watching the sheep. And Samuel says to Jesse, we're not going to do anything. We're not going to sit down. We're not going to go anywhere until you bring this boy in. And David comes in. And as soon as Samuel sees David, the Lord says to Samuel, this is the one. This is the one that's going to be the new king of Israel at age 10 to 13 years old. And so David stood there among his brothers, among his family. And Samuel got out his oil. And right there and then he anointed David as the next king of Israel. And the Bible says something interesting. It says that the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. You know, oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit throughout the Bible. And just as David was anointed with oil, and the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, if you've given your life to Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you claim him, then just like David, the Spirit of the Lord is upon you. You see, upon salvation, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And if you don't know Jesus today, Jesus died for you. He loves you. He, he died a brutal death in your place. And you can turn to him right now. He's pursuing you with so much love. You can sit there right there in your seats and turn to him today and believe upon him. And you can be sealed with the Spirit as well. In Ephesians 1.13 it says, And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. Romans 8.11 says, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. How awesome is that? Yeah, You can clap in church. There's one of you. We're going to get going today. So the Spirit of the Lord is as powerfully upon you as it was upon David. That is amazing. Absolutely amazing. And guess what? The next day, David does what? He goes back to watching sheep and goats. Nothing happens immediately. That's a whole message in and of itself. And from time to time, he's called upon to play some music in the king's court But other than that, he watches sheep and goats just like every day before that for five more years. Fast forward five years and the Israelites and their arch enemies, the Philistines, they're having this epic battle, this epic showdown against each other. And on one hillside are the Philistines all lined up. The other hillside are the Israelites and there's this valley in between them. And I think you've heard this story, but listen with fresh ears this morning, if you will. The Philistines had this champion fighter named Goliath. Now, Goliath was over nine feet tall. He had bronze chest armor that weighed 125 pounds. And he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The head of the tip of the spear weighed 15 pounds alone. Imagine that bad boy rocking through your body. That would not be a good day. So Goliath stood there and he shouted and he taunted the Israelites. He says, why are all of you coming out to fight? Choose one man and to come down here in this valley and kill me. And if he does, then we'll be your slaves. But if I kill him, then you will be our slaves. And the Bible says when King Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were two things. They were terrified and they were deeply shaken. Shaken. And for 40 days, every morning and evening, 80 times, this Goliath, this Philistine champion, he strutted his stuff like a proud rooster in front of the Israelite army. Now David, as we mentioned, is five years later. He's about 15 to 18 years old at this time. He's still watching the sheep. He's still a shepherd. And David's three oldest brothers had already joined Saul's army to fight on the front lines. So they were there watching this whole thing play out. But David didn't know anything that was going on. There was no Instagram feed. He didn't know about Goliath. And one day, Jesse, his father, came to him and said, David, you're the Jimmy John's delivery boy. You're going to take this bread and this cheese, and you're going to send them, bring them to your brothers and their captain. And bring me back a report. Tell me how they're doing. So again, David didn't know about Goliath. He's simply obeying his father's instructions one day he's watching sheep, the next day he's a delivery boy. And David arrives at the Israelite campsite just as the army was leaving for the hillside, lining up as they did every day against each other. And soon they were lined up, the Philistines on one hillside, the Israelites on the other, just as they'd been doing for the past 40 days. And David hurried to the front lines to find his brothers, and as he found his brothers, and as he began talking to them, this Goliath, this champion, steps out and begins his usual ritual, his, his normal song and dance and shouting routine, and the Bible says as soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. This is insane to me. 40 days, and they were still running away, terrified and deeply shaken. 40 days with the same result. And then on the 41st day, a little shepherd messenger boy shows up with bread and cheese in his hands, and he hears the same thing that thousands of fighting men in battle gear that were battle-tested and battle-hardened had heard for 40 days. And yet the first time, the first time David hears this, He has a completely different response than the entire nation of Israel had. And David's first response is, who is this dude? Who is this guy that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? See, David's first instinct was to look past Goliath and just see Jehovah Shammah. Instead of immediate fear, he had immediate faith. He knew that his God, his Jehovah Shammah, the Lord, was there, and with him they could take on anything. But Eliab, David's oldest brother, he heard David talking, and he got angry. He said, Dave, what are you doing around here anyway? What about those few little sheep that you're supposed to be taking care of? In other words, David, shouldn't you be back in Bethlehem in the middle of nowhere doing that pointless, useless job taking care of a few measly sheep? He said, David, I know all about your pride and your deceit. You just want to see the battle. Listen to me carefully. If you are doing anything meaningful for the kingdom of God, you will have critics. Let them say what they're going to say. You do not find your worth or your meaning in what everyone around you is saying, even if it's your older brother. There is only one name in which you will find confidence. There is only one voice in which you will find your worth, and that is the voice of your father. Can I get an amen? amen? David was obedient to the voice of his father who had sent him. I'm sure those words hurt. David was human. They had to. He was the youngest brother. He had to look up to his older brother. And you know what? David could have gotten, gone home at that time, got his feelings hurt, and just left, but he didn't. He actually goes a step further, several steps further. David actually makes his way to King Saul. And, and he, says, he says, King, don't worry about this Philistine. I'll go and fight him. And Saul laughed at David. He said, you, you can't go fight this Philistine. You're too young and inexperienced. I mean, he's been fighting since before you were in diapers. And David said, with all due respect, I've been a shepherd tending sheep for my father probably not a good start there but <laughs> listen king I've been a shepherd and whenever a lion or a bear comes and takes a lamb from me I go after it I go after it king and I knock it down and I rescue the lamb and if it turns on me I'll grab that lion or the bear by the throat wring its neck and kill it that's some serious hunting right there And and king, I'll do the same thing to this Philistine pig who is taunting the troops of our living God. The God who delivered me from the teeth of the lion and the claws of the bear will deliver me from this Philistine. And so if you think about it, at that point, Saul really didn't have anything to lose. He's been there for 40 days. No one's stepping up to the plate, including the king himself. So he said, okay, go, and God be with you. And then there was this moment there where he made David try on his armor, and the armor didn't fit. It was really awkward. And David said, I, I'm not used to this. This isn't how God uses me. I'm just going to do it the usual way. The usual way. And David goes to a nearby stream, and he picks up five smooth stones. And then armed only with his shepherd's staff and his sling, he starts across the valley to fight Goliath. And Goliath sees David coming, and he starts to walk down into the valley. And he laughs. He says, am I a dog that you come after me with sticks? (laughs) Come down here, boy, and I'll feed you to the birds and the wild animals. Let me tell you something this morning, church. There was no one else coming to fight your giant. No one else. It's up to you. All up to you. And you have two choices. You can stand on the sidelines with everyone else and run away in fear. Or you can be like the few and you can, by faith, pick up some stones in that brook. See, God has given you everything you need to defeat the enemy. He is there. He is in it. He is with you. He is Jehovah Shammah. And David yelled back to Goliath. He said, You come at me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in something far with something far greater, and that is the name of the Lord my God, the God of the heavens' armies, the armies of Israel who you have defied. And today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you, and I will cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues people, not with sword and spear. But this is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. And as Goliath moved closer to attack, the Bible says David ran quickly to meet him. It doesn't say that David casually walked over there to where Goliath was. He didn't saunter over there. He didn't jog. He didn't skip. He ran to meet him. Listen to me. There is a Goliath that is trying to destroy you. And once you identify him, you had better run to face him head on. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon put it this way, he said, If we are indeed contending for truth and righteousness, let us not wait until we have talent or wealth or any other form of visible power at our disposal, but with such stones as we find in the brook and our own usual sling, let us run to defeat the enemy. It's time, church, to grab some stones from the brook. And don't walk, don't jog, don't skip, and certainly do not stand there for 40 days like the Israelites did, were doing. You had better get after it and run to defeat your giants. Run! Oh God, we need some warriors in this generation. We need some Davids and Deborahs, Warriors that will run towards the enemy that say, I know my God is there ahead of me, behind me, above me, beneath me. Run to the enemy because I know my God is in this. Run, Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. There are some warriors that are going to rise up out of this church. You and me are children and we're going to run to meet the enemy. And David reached into the shepherd's bag and he took out a stone and he hurled it with his sling and he hit the Philistine in the forehead. And Goliath stumbled down and fell face down on the ground. And then David ran over and he pulled Goliath's sword out and he cut off his head. He ended it. You and I, the Church of Jesus Christ, we don't have just a call to protect the sheep. We are called to break down the gates of hell and to go after the enemy. And I'm serving public notice right now. Remember, though, our enemy is not people. It's not the person to your left or your right or in front of you or behind you. That's not people. We fight against a different battle. We fight against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. Our Goliath is the father of lies. And if he can get you to freeze with fear the moment you see him and stand there like those pathetic Israelites like the rest of the world is doing right now, then the devil is winning. See, you and I need to chase down the lies, chase down the liar, and cut its head off. It's not enough just to scare the threat away. You have to put an end to it and pull out your sword and finish it off and end him. See, David's stone from his sling just knocked the giant down. The job needed to be finished, though. And you have a sword. It's your most powerful weapon, the sword of the spirit which is the word of God and it's time church to get out your sword and remind yourself that Satan is already defeated. Colossians 2:14 and 15 he Jesus canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Glory. Oh my goodness. In this way, He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities and He shamed them publicly. He exposed them by His victory over them on the cross. He shamed them publicly. I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what battle you're in. I don't know what giant you're facing. But whatever battle you're in, remember this. There was a battle before the battle. Whatever giant you face, there was a battle before the battle. Whatever enemy you're facing, there was a battle before the battle. Jehovah Shammah has already won. Listen to me carefully. You don't fight for victory. You and I fight from victory. There is a huge difference. So Goliath was dead. And the Philistines turned and they ran because the Israelites now had some courage. And we need some warriors to rally the troops and see that the giants can be defeated. And as soon as David returned from killing Goliath, Abner, who was the commander of Saul's army, brought him to Saul with Goliath's head still in David's hand. I love this. How awesome a trophy would that make in your man cave <laughs> a little giant head st- put that up there to remind yourself how, that's what I'm talking about I'm going after some giant heads yes and Saul asked David a very interesting question I'd never really realized this before until, until this time when I was studying this, this, uh, this message he said David right after he'd killed Goliath he says David tell me about your father. You see, that is the response that you and I should be seeking as we live out our lives. That, with, Like David, we should live with such faith and obedience that people around us would say, tell me about your father. And David replied, his name is Jesse and we live in Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Oh, little insignificant Bethlehem. Little insignificant Bethlehem. Little insignificant Peoria. How often do we hear that? How often do we say that? Like Eliab told David, shouldn't you be back in Bethlehem watching your few sheep? See, the greatest lie that you could ever believe is that you're insignificant to the kingdom of God. Micah 5.2 says, But you, O Bethlehem, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past will come to you from my, on my behalf. Matthew 2.6 And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. See, the shepherd David was from insignificant Bethlehem. And yet, 28 generations later, in David's offspring, Jesus, the great shepherd, was born in little, small, insignificant Bethlehem. I love God's creativity. How do you think he announced the arrival of the great shepherd, Jesus? To shepherds, of course. Luke chapter 2. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. What is your Bethlehem this morning? What are you calling small that God says, no, there's greatness there? See, you are not the least, you are not small. You have the living spirit of God inside of you. There is greatness in your next moment. And I think God hates the label of small. You cannot label something small that God is in. You can't. If God's in it, then it's huge. It's massive. It's of extreme importance. And if the very spirit of God resides within us, then how dare we label anything he puts in front of us as small. You and I are either doing something with excellence or not with excellence. We are either doing work as unto the Lord or not unto the Lord. We are either using our talents or we're burying our talents. Who are we to decide if something is small or large? Who are we to decide what impact that our obedience will have for the kingdom of God? What is the Father given to you to do? Then don't wait. Do it today. Don't stand in the sidelines of fear. Grab some stones out of the brook in faith and run to defeat your giant. Give it everything you've got. Give it everything you've got as if it affects eternity because it does. Church, your God is not small. Your God is in it. Your God is there. Your God is Jehovah Shama. Would you pray with me? David was a shepherd, a musician, a warrior, and a king. But all that he did was out of a heart that chased after God. And he certainly wasn't perfect, but he lived out his life with an understanding of Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. And perhaps the most famous psalm that David wrote was Psalm 23. And I want to close today by praying this psalm as a prayer. I want you to listen to this with new ears and pray this with a new heart that the shepherd, the musician, the warrior, the king that wrote this is just like you and me. Lord, you are my shepherd. You have all that I need. You let me rest in green meadows You lead me beside peaceful streams. You renew my strength. You guide me along the right paths, bringing honor to your name. And even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff, they protect me and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and your unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. And all God's people said, Amen.